Hey, good morning. Thank you for joining us for a recent sermon from Harvest Baptist Church. I'm Mark Likens. I'm the lead pastor here at Harvest. We're a Bible-believing, gospel-centered, grace-driven church family right here in Natrona Heights, Pennsylvania. And if you'd like to learn more about our ministry, you can visit us on Facebook or at harvestbaptist.info. Now, I hope you enjoyed today's sermon. It's my prayer that this will encourage and equip you in your relationship with God. In Revelation chapter number one, Revelation one, you can go to the back of your Bible. If you're like, where's Revelation? It's in the very back. So just keep turning and turning and eventually you will hit it. Uh, there was a survey done years ago in which they asked congregants, which book of the Bible would you most like to hear preached? And the answer was Revelation. Then they asked the pastors, which book of the Bible would you least like to preach? And the answer was Revelation. So many of you have asked me over the last uh, few weeks, because I've told you this was coming, uh, why, are, why are we doing this? Why are we going through the book of Revelation? You know, is it because of popular demand? It's what the people most want. Uh, is this so that we can have this special knowledge more than the other people who haven't studied Revelation and we can teach them all the things that we know that they don't know or we can take pot shots at the people who disagree with us theologically on something? Uh, is it just because we want a challenge? You know, this book's a little intimidating. We're up for a challenge. Well, I'd like to come back to that question. Why? would we study the book of Revelation after we cover the first three verses? So let's cover the first three verses, and then we'll end this morning with the why question of why would we look at this. So here we go, Revelation 1, verse number 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass, and he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ, and of all things that he saw, blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. And today, to frame this introduction of a sermon, we're going to look at, our points will be, you might have studied Revelation wrong if, and then we'll fill in the blank. Point number one, the Lord Jesus is not larger and grander and fuller. If you study Revelation and you don't have a larger, grander, fuller view of Jesus, you've done it wrong. Because Revelation starts and tells you this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, well, what does the revelation of Jesus mean? Does that mean that Jesus is the one who is revealing something? Jesus is the one who is uncovering something for John to know and pass along? Or does that mean that Jesus is the one who is being revealed? Is he the revealer or the one who is being revealed? And I don't think that those are mutually exclusive. I think the answer is both. So Jesus is the one who reveals, and you see this in the text, and it's the revelation of Jesus. And it actually gives you, I hate to call it the telephone game, but it gives you this a sequence of how this was passed along. It says it's the revelation of Jesus, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. He sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. So what verse 1 says is this is a revelation. This is from the Father. This is by the Son, through an angel, to John for us. Now I know that's a lot of, a lot of steps there, but this is from the Father, by the Son, through an angel, to John for us, the servants. So this is 
from Jesus. And you will see Jesus as a revealer through the book. But this is also about Jesus and meant to reveal Jesus. You will see this all through the book, especially even chapter number one. We'll hit it hard next week where you will see that this book is about Jesus. And if you get to the end of the book, and you have charts and graphs and highlighters and you have pins and markers and all these things and you got your calendar out and you try to figure out the events and what they were and when they happened and all this, but you do not have a grander, fuller, richer view of Jesus, you missed it. Revelation over and over and over and over again will tell you when the world begins to wind down, more than looking for something to happen, look for someone to come. Be focused on Jesus and be looking for Jesus. And this is the revelation, singular, not revelations. It's the revelation of one, and that's Jesus, the glorified, spotless Lamb of God. This is why at the end of Revelation, you will find this little statement, which is so profound in Revelation 19, that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. You have missed the spirit of prophecy if you have missed the testimony of Jesus. And all of the Bible is, big word here, all of the Bible is Christocentric. All of it centers on Jesus. Genesis centers on Jesus. And Psalms centers on Jesus. And the Gospel of Matthew centers on Jesus. And Revelation is not an exception to the rule. Revelation centers on Jesus. And if you don't have a grander, fuller, richer view of Jesus when you're done, you did it wrong. Number two. You've studied Revelation wrong if you leave with more questions than answers. So this is, according to the book, this is the, and what's the second word? The, all right, hang with me, you can do better. The revelation. This is not the covering. This is the revealing. This is not the hide, secrets, hidden messages and agendas, withholding. That's not what it is. This is the revelation. It is about revealing something. This is why at the end of the book, John will be admonished in chapter number 22 that he saith unto me, seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book. John, don't seal them up. John, don't shut them up. There's something to be revealed here. That's why in the middle of verse 1 you find this to show unto his servants the things which must shortly come to pass. Now, only God knows the future, but he wants to show his servants some of the future. That's what this is saying. This is a revealing from Jesus to show us, his servants, the bond slaves of Jesus, what must shortly come to pass. Meaning, God doesn't want you in the dark. Times may be dark and times may get dark, but God doesn't want you in the dark. He wants to reveal something. He wants to shine a light on something. And you don't need a college degree to understand it, contrary to many's belief. This is not the revelation of Jesus, and he's going to show unto the pastors the things which must shortly come to pass. Oh, I know. He will show unto the theologians the things which must shortly come to pass. He will show unto the people who really have their heads screwed on straight and have a lot of educational know-how the things which must shortly come to pass. No, 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 no. He must show unto his servants, anyone who calls Jesus Lord, to the Christians, to you and I, to all of us, the things which must shortly uh, come to pass. 
So I want you to tell yourself, God wants to show me something. God wants me to know some stuff. God wants to reveal some stuff. And if you leave here with more doubts and more question marks than you do answers, you've missed it. If you read that phrase, he's going to show unto his servants the things which must shortly come to pass, it doesn't sound like the Riddler wrote it, right? There's not a lot of question marks there. There is the sense of these words are sure and these words reveal something. But not, not also are they sure, he also says they're near. These words are sure and near. This is why he says this must shortly come to pass. This is why the end of verse 3 ended with the phrase, and uh, where's number three? For the time is at hand. Now, what's up with that? Okay, John wrote this end of the first century, 90 AD-ish. And 2,000 years almost have gone by. So if he wrote this 2,000 years ago, I was like, hey, this is going to shortly come to pass. And hey, the time is at hand. Then what's up with that? Shouldn't this have happened a little sooner? Did it happen a little sooner? And I want you, if you're in the habit of taking notes, you can write this down. Must shortly come to pass, or the time is at hand, means imminency, not immediacy. Now, first of all, if it meant immediacy, that this must shortly come to pass, what, is, what does that mean? Does that mean two days, two weeks, two months, two decades, two generations? It, it's tough to really, that's kind of squishy. But it doesn't mean immediacy, it means imminency, meaning this could happen at any moment, meaning God's prophetic timeline that you'll see some of here, that that could happen and the domino effect could begin at any time. This is why all through the New Testament, you're, you're told to be looking for the Lord's coming and to be waiting on him, to be living on the edge of eternity, to, to know that this could happen soon, to know that he could return soon, to know that we may stand before him soon, to know that that could happen at any time. That's the point. This is near. This is also what Peter tipped his hat to in 2 Peter when he began to talk about these things that would happen in the future, these new heavens and new earth and these, these future events. And Peter says that a day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. Remember that phrase or that verse? Let's read it together. Second Peter chapter number three. The heavens and earth which are now by the same word are kept in store, they're reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. There's a lot I could say about that verse, but we're going to suffice it to say he's talking about something in the future. Verse number eight. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. One day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but he's long-suffering to us, where he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, meaning imminency. It could happen at any moment. In the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works therein shall be burned up. And we'll talk more about new heavens and new earth and what this means in, in the future in Revelation. But the point is this. Peter talking about what's going to happen in the future, knowing that his, the followers may think, well, shouldn't this have already happened? Like, I mean, it's been a minute. Come on, get, get on with it, Lord. Like, it, shortly, it's going to come to pass. Like, this should have happened already. And he stops and he says, don't be ignorant. A thousand years is like a day with God. A day is like a thousand years. Like, 
the way God views time and his timeline is different than ours. But no, his promises are sure. You can take them to the bank. His plan is set. He has not delayed. Number three, you might have studied Revelation wrong if you're more scared than blessed. This is a book of blessing, according to verse number three, not a horror film. Now, there is wrath and there is judgment and there is tribulation, which if you don't know Jesus as your Savior is a scary thing, to be sure. But the major theme is blessing, not fear, for the people of God. It was written to the servant, it was written to the people of God to give them a blessing, not to spin up consternation. If you leave Revelation and you're in a tailspin and you are just scared out of your mind, as some books and some movies would leave you to be, then you may have missed the primary purpose. Look at verse number three. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy. Now, so blessed is the one that reads, and blessed are they that hear, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Combine your hearing with obeying, and you get a blessing, is what it says. This is a blessing book. And it says, right there in verse 3, well, what, what type of writing is this? It's a prophecy. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy. This means that if you read this, you should, when it's all said and done, have a blessing of being built up, of being stable, like a well-built house. This doesn't scare me or threaten me. When the wheels fall off, I know, because I've read Revelation, that God is still in control, that he's not caught by surprise, that the Holy Trinity is not an emergency session, like, we've got to figure this out, Right? God doesn't drive an ambulance and show up and try to figure out how to put together the carnage. That's not what happens. But God's in control. That should stabilize you. Number two, there's a blessing of encouragement. What do you say to a Christian brother or sister who just lost their spouse unexpectedly and now they're a widow or a widower? What do you say to the Christian brother or sister who they had that miscarriage the baby was stillborn. The baby was born with a ton of complications. And the physical life is not going to be what they anticipated it would be. What do you say? How do you comfort somebody when they are in immense pain? And the doctors try to help and they try to give medicine and they try therapy and they do it all, but they live riddled in pain day to day. There's lots of things you could say, but one of the best things you could do is take some words of comfort from the prophecy and say, look, if I read this right, Revelation says that this is not all there is, but there's more to come. And that one day, death will die. And one day, every tear will be wiped away. And one day, all the disease will be gone. And one day, you'll take that wheelchair and you can throw it into hell. And one day, you'll throw aside the crutches and the canes. And one day, the pain will be gone. One day, that's comforting. The words of the prophecy are comforting. There's a blessing. There's also encouragement, excuse me. There's also comfort. And what, 
What John says is understand as you approach this book, it's the revelation of Jesus, and this is a book of blessing. There's meant to be exhortation. There's meant to be comfort. There's meant to be edification. The people of God should be better off because of it. So if you leave it with more fear than you do comfort, you've done it wrong. Number four, quickly. You've studied Revelation wrong if you have no practical application. So this is hinted at and screamed loudly. Verse 1, we're told that this is for bond slaves only. This is for the servants, the doulases, the bond slaves. This is for the people that are the servants of Jesus and who have exclaimed loudly that Jesus is Lord. Now, there's an implied, if he's the Lord and you're the servant, he's going to give you some commands. Like, that's how that works. But it's screamed loudly in verse number 3. When you're told that you're blessed, not just if you hear this, which is a common misconception. If I just read it or hear it, then I'll have a blessing. It's not what it says. Hear and keep the words. There are commands to obey. There are lessons to learn. There are things to keep in the book of Revelation. This isn't just about a bunch of knowledge that will serve you for the future or help you read the newspaper. This there's a lot of application. Now, I don't have a ton to get to today, but as we move through this, you will see application after application after application. And if you take the book of Revelation and all you have is a knowledge base, but you have nothing practical on how to serve the Lord Jesus with your life, you missed it. There's something here to be done for the church today. Fifth and lastly, you might have studied Revelation wrong, and I'm going to step on your toes with this one, but it's okay. You'll forgive me. If current events have no connection or every connection to Revelation. So let's talk about no connection first. This won't hit most of you, but it's, it's worth noting. There is a view of Revelation that has become uh, increasingly popular, although it is not the primary view, but it is more popular. And I've even had a few of you ask me about this in the last couple weeks. Uh, that produces a very impoverished understanding of the text, to be honest. The view is that Revelation was a prophecy when it was given to John, but then the prophecy all took place, and all these bad things, and all this tribulation stuff, all this took place right after it was given to John. And by the time you get to 100 AD, really 90% of this prophecy is done, it's all history, and it's not future-oriented anymore. Maybe there's a little bit that's future-oriented, like in chapters 20 and 21 and 22, but most of it is in the past. This is known as the preterist view of Revelation, which is wrong. I, I don't know how to put it other than that bluntly. It's just wrong. You have to do a lot of mental gymnastics with the text to make it do that, and you have to ignore a ton of church history, early church history, in order to do that, most specifically where you date the book. So I'm not going to get into the weeds on that. I'm happy to answer more questions there. But this isn't a book that has nothing to do with current events, and it is primarily past history. That's not it. It still is a revealing of things to come. There are some things that are past. We'll hit some of that. But it's primarily things to come still. There's a futurist view still. But that being said, it's also not a book that has every connection, that like every event in the newspaper is connected to Revelation. And this is where I may hit some of you between the eyes more because I fear that some of you suffer from headline hysteria and that you are easy prey for people who want to take 
anything that's happening in the world, but most specifically in 2022 America and our political system and run to Revelation and find some symbol or some animal or some verse to support their wacky view or their conspiracy theory and then claim it's from the Bible and you just buy it to end this, why would we study the book of Revelation? Well, here's why. There's more than four reasons, but there's at least four. Study it if you want some blessings. There are blessings upon blessings upon blessings to be had from this book. And I don't know about you, but I want to be built up, and I want to be exhorted, and I want to be comforted. I want some blessings. Study this book if you want to go through life brimming with confidence. If you want to be able to say, it's quarter number three and it seems like we're down, but I know what happens at the end, we win, and you can have confidence through life. Study this book if you want to know how to serve Jesus better because there is practical application for the church and for your life today. And study this book, maybe most importantly, if you want to know Jesus better. When it's all said and done, I'll go back to where I started. It's the revelation of Jesus. It's not of John the Divine. It's not of whatever political figure you don't like or do like. It's about Jesus. And we want to have a fuller, deeper, richer understanding of who he is so that we can serve him and worship him better because of the book of Revelation. Hey, this is Pastor Mark again, and I wanted to take a moment and just say thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope that the message both challenged and encouraged you from the Word of God. Maybe you're listening for the first time. I want you to know that we believe the most important decision you'll ever make is the decision to know Jesus in a personal, intimate way. To find out more about that, you can visit harvestbaptist.info forward slash gospel. If you live in one of the four counties that are church borders, Allegheny, Westmoreland, Armstrong, Butler, and you don't have a church home, then we would invite you to come and to worship with us and join in the gospel work that God is doing here at Harvest Baptist Church. Maybe you're a regular listener and God's laying it on your heart to support the ministry and the outreach of Harvest. Your gift would help us reach more people more effectively with the gospel message. If you'd like to partner with us for ministry in Western Pennsylvania and around the world, you can visit harvestbaptist.info forward slash give. Again, thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.